Hey, I'm Steph, and this is Not Today. Hello, friends. Top of the morning to ya. <laughs> you know, I really don't love embarrassing myself with terrible attempts at other accents, but the reason I attempted that one is because when this episode comes out, I will actually be in Ireland. So, Ireland, I'm in you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> but anyway, since I will be on a trip, I am recording this episode a little bit early. So, Alex and I have just recorded the Freak Accidents episode, and I really hope you guys enjoyed that one because that was really interesting to research for me, and we definitely had a good time talking about it. Maybe we got a little too silly at times, but we had fun. So if you would like to hear more of those, please let me know because I definitely would like to do more of those. And there are so many of those little stories out there that are definitely not little in intensity, but just not as much information to do an entire dedicated episode about. So I for sure think we could have more of those. And I think that would be fun. But today I'm going to be talking to you about Jim and Jennifer Stolpa. And Jim and Jennifer also got themselves into a bit of an accident. Maybe not so much of a freak accident as getting struck by lightning seven times in one lifetime, but they made a series of pretty poor decisions that unintentionally got them into a really bad situation. So I think we could call that an accident. And I know right now for us, it's about to be summertime, but really we're about to get stuck in the middle of a really gnarly blizzard. So I guess let's just get into it. It was around Christmas time in 1992. Jim Stolpa learned that his grandmother had just passed away and was making arrangements to travel to Idaho with his wife and their son. 20-year-old Jennifer and 21-year-old Jim Stolpa had met in high school. Jennifer liked him because he was very sweet and caring. Jim's only a couple months older than Jennifer, so the two actually got married when they were both 19 years old, about 11 days before Jim went off to boot camp. Jennifer at the time had already enlisted in the army and was in the army reserves. And about a year and a half after they were married, their son Clayton was born. However, at the time of the story, Clayton was about four or five months old. Jim was a very family-oriented person, so he was very determined to get to the funeral on time. Their plan was to drive. They made arrangements to borrow a 1988 Dodge Dakota pickup truck from a fellow soldier since their little car wasn't going to be able to make the long drive they had ahead of them. They would be driving from the Bay Area in California to Idaho, so their plan was to leave super early in the morning since the drive was going to be around 800 miles or just around 12 hours long. And speaking from someone who has done a 12-hour long road trip many times, the move is definitely to leave super early in the morning, so they were on the right track. Jim's mother, Muriel Mulligan, and Jim's stepfather, Kevin, were already in Idaho and were concerned about Jim and Jennifer making such a long drive at that time because the weather wasn't supposed to be the best. There was going to be snow through the area they were driving through, and driving in snow can bring up a whole host of possible issues. Muriel even told them not to make the trip at all and just stay home from the funeral. But Jim and Jennifer didn't feel like that was a good enough reason not to make the journey, so they decided they would be leaving anyway. 
December 29, 1992, they left first thing in the morning, because they thought if they left early enough, they could make it there by that evening. They were headed northeast from San Francisco toward Pocatello, Idaho. The original plan was to take Interstate 80 through Nevada, over the mountain passes directly north into Idaho. In the beginning of their trip, the weather was good. It was sunny and even warm out. But what they didn't realize was that ahead of them was very unfriendly blizzards. It was so bad that Interstate 80 had already been closed up ahead of them. A blizzard that can close down an entire major highway must be really bad. But it wasn't going to stop them. So once they had come up to this road closure, they were told traffic had to be stopped due to the intensity of the storm. And they were advised to find a place in the area to spend the night. Interstate 80 was their most direct route, so this definitely threw a wrench into their plans, but they were still very determined to get there that night. They really didn't want to spend another day on their journey, so they decided they would stop at a gas station and grab a paper map to find an alternate route over the mountains. As they looked at the map, they avoided the area where the roads had been closed and where they believed the storm was, because apparently now they're meteorologists. And so outside of that, they decided on Route 299, which was going to take them north. This new route seemed promising, because if their estimations were correct, they should go straight up and around the storm and still make it to Idaho by that night. The intention was to go around the storm. But what they didn't take into consideration was the storm had already been through that area and had blanketed it in snow. As they drove on, they could see dark skies coming from the west. It was getting late, and there wasn't much traffic on the road since it had been ill-advised. The roads had gotten a little snowier than they were comfortable with at one point, so they stopped off at a service station and got chains installed on their tires for a little extra traction. Jim and Jennifer planned on calling Jim's mother and stepfather to let them know that they had taken this alternate route. But at the time, they didn't have a cell phone, because it was 1992. So at this service station where they were getting the chains installed on the tires, they looked for a payphone, and they actually found one. But the phone just ended up eating Jim's quarters and not working. So he knew his mother would be worried about them. But at that point, he had no way of reaching out to them, so they had to just keep pushing forward. They could have found another service station with a, another payphone, but... They really were trying to make the best time possible, and they didn't want to waste any more time looking for a phone. So even though they knew Jim's mom was going to be worried about them, they definitely didn't anticipate getting stuck in the storm. So they were like, it's fine, we'll be there in a few hours, and she'll have her mind at ease when we get there. That really sucks for you guys who didn't have cell phones. <laughs> I know I'm definitely showing my age, but I'm 25, and I have had a cell phone since I was in middle school, basically. I mean, not an iPhone, but, you know. I've always had a cell phone, and it helps. We love technology, because it can save lives, so that's good. But Jim and Jennifer didn't have that luxury. After a while of driving, there wasn't any more snow on the road. The roads were pretty clean and bare, actually. But they had gotten these chains put on the back wheels of the truck, so even though there was no snow anymore, they couldn't drive very fast. And since they had already been directed off of their course and gone hours out of the way, having to drive extra slow because of these chains was definitely getting on their nerves. So Jim stopped the car in the middle of the road since there was nobody out there with them, 
got out of the car and literally felt the road with his hands. And it was basically dry, which made him think that they were right in assuming that they were out of this stormy area. And since they wanted to make better time and didn't think it was going to get any worse, they opted to take the chains off of the tires that they just got installed. Jim said looking back on it, this was a terrible call. They were really young and were not experienced to know that things can get very bad very fast. But they were just trying to get there as quick as possible, so he took the chains off the tires and they kept on driving. By that time, it had been getting dark, and after a while, they did begin driving through snow once again. But they didn't want to slow down or stop, and they figured since they could still see the road ahead of them, they would just keep pushing forward. By this time, Jim and Jennifer had turned onto a very small road. According to their map, it should get them where they needed to go. But what they missed because of the storm was a road closed sign for this road as well. So they really should not have been on it. And they missed this road closed sign because it had been buried in snow. The roads definitely were not dry anymore, but they had already taken off their tire chains and now it was late, dark, and they were in the middle of nowhere. Something else they had initially missed about this small side road, it was actually a gravel road. It wasn't even fully paved, but they didn't know that at the time because they were once again driving through snow. They were slightly worried with how dark and desolate it seemed out there. They couldn't tell just by looking at the paper map that this was how it was going to be, but now that they were out there, there was nothing they could do about it. For a long time, they followed the taillights of some other vehicle that had been in front of them, which gave them a false sense of security. They figured since there was another car on the road with them, it must at least be decently traveled. But then, all of a sudden, they realized they didn't see that car anymore, so now they were alone out there which is when they started getting more anxious. And this situation really reminds me of when I was driving from New York to California because I had to drive through the desert at night down a like one lane road. And yeah, there were other cars on the road, but it felt so scary driving in the pitch black down a one lane road in the middle of nowhere. And knowing that if you broke down, you'd be kind of fucked. Like, it was definitely scary. And I could really only imagine the kind of anxiety they were feeling since they were driving through snow in the middle of nowhere. And they didn't have cell phones. So really, that only adds to the stress. But anyway, that shit is really scary. So that's, that's really nothing to toy with. But they were there and there was nothing they could do about it but keep driving forward. Jim pointed out to Jennifer that the car that they had been following was no longer with them. Jennifer looked up to see that the car was no longer with them, but before that, she had been looking at the map to try to figure out where they were, but at that point, their paper map wasn't really helping them, which is when they quickly drove past a sign on the side of the road. Jim asked Jennifer if she saw what the sign said, because they didn't really know where they were, and they needed to know what that sign had said. Jennifer hadn't seen the sign, and neither had Jim, and since there was nobody out there with them, Jim stopped and backed up to take a look at what it said. When they got to the sign, they saw that the next place to turn off would be in 24 miles, which, at the time, didn't seem so bad. But that's when Jennifer looked down out the window and saw how much snow was actually on the ground that they had been driving through. 
They thought they were driving through a few inches of snow, but in reality, there was at least a foot or possibly more of snow on the ground. When they started driving again, the car made it maybe another mile forward before they got bogged down in the snow and couldn't get out. So the car was stuck. It was late and dark, and the car was not moving. So they decided they would leave the lights on for a while in case anyone came by, but other than that, they would have to just sleep there that night and wait and see what it looked like in the morning. The next morning, when Jennifer woke up, she got out of the car and was shocked by what she saw in front of her. As far as you could see, there was nothing. No road signs, no power lines, no tire tracks. It was just white everywhere. Everything was covered in snow, and there was nothing around them. And the last town they had passed was well over 50 miles back. They decided the only thing they could do at that point was try to dig out the tires and push the car out of the snow to drive out of there. But there was so much snow underneath the truck, on the sides, under the tires, that they spent basically the whole day trying to dig it out and move it. They were also fighting the wind, blowing more snow in their way. Because it was still blizzarding, by the way. They did manage to get the truck turned around and even got it a couple dozen feet forward, but then it was stuck once again. They moved to the back of the truck because they had more space back there for them to move around and they could get Clayton out of his car seat. They were driving a pickup truck, but it was a, one of those covered pickup trucks with a camping shell or whatever it's called. Point being, they had plenty of space in the back for them to stretch out and put Clayton down and get him out of his car seat. So that was at least good. They used whatever clothing or towels they had or could find in the truck to keep warm or plug up any cracks where any cool air was getting in. They really didn't have a ton of food with them either. They had a little bit of leftover fruitcake from the holidays. They also had just the crumbs at the bottom of a bag of Doritos and a bottle of prenatal vitamins. And they also had a small amount of baby food for Clayton, but not much because he was still breastfeeding at the time. The only reason they had any at all was because they had just started introducing solids to him. They stayed in the back of the truck for three days, passing the time with hangman, tic-tac-toe, or word games. The wind was brutal. They would periodically turn on the car for the heat when it got super cold and turn on the radio to try to hear if there were any searches happening for them, but they wanted to conserve as much gas as possible in case they could drive out of there at some point. The funeral was going to be on the 31st. Jim, Jennifer, and Clayton were supposed to have arrived on the 29th, and when they didn't show up, Muriel, Jim's mother, had become extremely concerned. She waited up all night for them and called their home, hoping they just hadn't left yet, but of course, she got no answer. And after days of hearing nothing, Jim's family had contacted highway patrols. But they were told that it was a New Year's weekend, and they had other things that they were concerned about at that time. They couldn't be out on the roads in the conditions they were in, looking for possible missing persons. Kevin... Jim's stepfather really wanted to leave to do something, but they still had a funeral to go to. So they left a note on the door for Jim and Jennifer, giving them directions to the funeral, just in case they showed up. 
But after the funeral, Kevin and Muriel decided they'd head back to the Bay Area because Kevin had a background in cable television and he really wanted to get the media involved to get the word out because clearly no one is going to help them. So it was up to them. And that brings us to day three out there, New Year's Eve. Jim and Jennifer had been rationing what little fruitcake they had between the two of them and the baby food for Clayton. Jennifer didn't really like the fruitcake, so she apparently didn't even really want to eat it. By the morning of day four, they knew they had to do something. It had been days now, and nobody was coming for them. They had heard on the radio that the weather was supposed to be clearing up on Saturday. Their options were sit there and starve, or try to walk out of there. So they got ready to go out. But they didn't come prepared to walk through snow. They were going to a funeral. They had dress clothes and comfortable clothes, so they had to get creative with what they had. They knew it was incredibly important to keep their feet dry. They knew that from military training, so they each put on a pair of Jennifer's pantyhose, along with plastic bags over their feet secured by socks under their sneakers. They tied sweatshirts around their heads to keep them warm, and put on as many layers as they could. They bundled Clayton up in his baby clothes and nestled him into a baby sleeping bag they had, and put a hat on him as well. And Jim had the idea to put the very bundled up Clayton inside a garment bag and zip it up, and then tie that bag around Jim's waist. That way he could drag it behind him across the snow as they walked. Kind of like a little dog sled, but Jim is the dog, and Clayton is the sled. And it was a little weird, but it really worked. Their main priority was keeping him warm, and it was seemingly doing that, so they decided it was going to have to work. They weren't sure they would survive the journey, so before leaving, they wrote a letter letting their family know their final wishes, and also to let them know they were sorry and they loved them. Since the last town they had passed was a good 50 miles behind them, they decided their best bet was to keep heading forward to what they believed would just be a 20-mile walk to the next town. Walking was slow. They were constantly in shin-to-knee-deep snow, and it only took a couple of hours for their feet to go completely numb. They were getting very thirsty, so they continually ate snow as they walked. Their mouths were very tired and cold because they were constantly trying to warm up snow and drink the water, but as soon as they got any kind of water, they were already reaching for more snow. And it was painful for Jennifer after a few hours because her hips didn't do well in those conditions, so every little while they would have to stop. I mean, think about it. She had a baby just a few months ago, and now she's walking through knee-deep snow for hours on end. That's pretty incredible. Jim really wanted to keep going, but Jennifer was lagging behind, and he knew she was getting weaker. Walking during the day was one thing, but at night, it was even worse. It was extremely cold and windy. To fight that, they would walk backwards. But they just had to keep going. They really didn't have a shelter or any way to really stop. They couldn't sleep out there like that, exposed, so they just had to keep walking, day and night. By that time, it had been two straight days of walking, plus three days in the truck, so five days in total. They were starving. Jennifer would try to breastfeed Clayton, but she wasn't sure if she was even producing milk anymore, and if she was, it wasn't much. 
They had stopped to rest for a little while, and a few times, Jennifer and Jim had talked about how if they just fell asleep out there, there was a good chance they may not wake up. Because they knew succumbing to hypothermia would be kind of just like falling asleep out there, and then you could just freeze to death. And honestly to them, that kind of seemed like an enticing idea at times. But what stopped them was the idea that they would fall asleep and not wake up, but Clayton wouldn't fall asleep, and he would be left alone out there. So that immediately stopped that idea from happening, and they had to keep going for him. After the five days that they had been missing, Jim's stepfather Kevin had really gotten things moving back in California. He got all the news channels to their home, made up missing posters, and even got a truck from a friend to go searching through California and Nevada himself. It was pretty clear that they had not just run away. Something bad had happened to them. So either they had gotten lost and stranded in the storm, or even more concerning, someone had kidnapped and hurt them. The search for them wasn't going anywhere because they kept getting tips and sightings from all over the place, so it just seemed like Jim and Jennifer could have been anywhere. People had good intentions with these tips and sightings, but it was really setting back the search. But also, it was really incredible that Kevin just got a truck and by himself was driving around California and Nevada searching for them himself. I mean, he had no idea where they were going. He knew what their general route was supposed to be in the beginning, but they weren't even on that route anymore. So he was just blindly driving around looking for his family. And that was because the police weren't really doing anything, so he felt like he had to go out and do it himself. And Muriel said that there was no way he would have been able to just sit and wait for a phone call. He had to go out and feel like he was doing something and making a difference. So that was also kind of his way of coping. But still, a lot of respect to that man for doing that, because that is extremely time-consuming and really difficult. So impressive, to say the least. But back to Jim and Jennifer. They had come to a spot where there was a really steep incline ahead of them. It was so steep, they thought that once they reached the top, there must be some kind of town or power lines, a road, anything over this hill. But once they reached the top, it was their worst nightmare. As far as they could see, there was nothing. Miles and miles of nothing. Mountains and nothing. They thought there would have been at least a highway, because that was what the map had told them would be there. But there was no highway they could see for miles. In that moment, Jennifer felt like they were absolutely going to die out there. She fell to her knees at the top of this hill and started crying. And that's when, at the same time, Jennifer and Jim realized that Clayton wasn't crying. And that was very unlike him, because he was usually very calm and quiet as they walked, but whenever they stopped, he cried. Like clockwork, if they stopped, he cried. And he wasn't making a sound. They were terrified of what that meant. Jim immediately unzipped the bag and thankfully saw Clayton's big eyes looking right back up at him. And then he started crying. Jennifer said if he wasn't alive when they unzipped that bag, she would have laid down and died with him because she wouldn't have any reason to go on. But he was totally fine. Jim said Clayton just knew they were having a hard moment. He realized their plan had failed and he was just being polite. <laughs> a very polite five-month-old baby. He said it's mom's turn to cry. 
I'll I'll be quiet in my <laughs> I'll be quiet in my garment bag. <laughs> Jim told Jennifer they were going to go back to the truck, and then they could go to the town they had passed on the way in, because they knew there were people there. So with that being said, all that there was left to do now was turn around and start heading back in the direction they came. By that night, they made it back to an outcropping of rocks. It was so windy, they decided they couldn't keep walking anymore. They had to get out of the wind. They had propped themselves up against a rock and had a sleeping bag with them, so they huddled very close together and threw it over the top of both of them, and Clayton, of course, for the night. And their feet were sticking out a little bit, but they were able to kind of get some sleep that night. The next morning was day six. When they woke up, Jennifer tried to stand, but she was in excruciating pain. Her hips had just about given out, and she could barely walk. She knew she wasn't going to be able to make it very far at all that day. She knew she needed to walk, and she wanted to, but her body just wasn't letting her. So they looked around for a little, and in the daylight, they were able to spot a cave in this outcropping of rocks. So in Jennifer's mind, she was thinking she could just rest up a little bit more, maybe warm up a bit in there, and then she'd be able to walk again. But Jim was thinking they were still so far from this truck, and extremely far from any kind of town, and he needed to do something fast, or they were all going to die. So that's when he set Jennifer up in the cave with Clayton, and he told her that he wasn't staying. He was going to leave her there in the cave with Clayton, and he was going to walk on by himself to get help. He would be much faster on his own. Jennifer definitely didn't want to split up. She was terrified that this would be the last time she would see him, but he promised her he would be back for her. He told her just to give him three days, and he would get help. If she could wait three days, she would survive. She understood where he was coming from, but she didn't want him to leave. But it was what they had to do. They said their goodbyes. And I don't know how you'd do that one, but they did. And he walked down the hill and marked the spot with a colorful sweatshirt and continued forward. His pace was much faster now that he was on his own. He said he turned into a machine, but at least he had a task. Jim said he believes it was much worse for Jennifer because all she could do was sit and wait. She did her best to comfort Clay and keep him warm. She tried to breastfeed him, but at that point she wasn't really producing much milk at all, if any. So she started melting snow in her mouth and spitting it into his mouth, and he was drinking that, kind of like a little baby bird. So at least that was something. Jim wouldn't let himself rest the whole time he was walking back to the truck. If he did stop for a few minutes, he never let himself fall asleep for fear he wouldn't wake back up. But he made great time and actually did make it back to the truck by that night. When he did finally make it back, he was extremely grateful to finally be out of the wind. He was hoping to be able to start the truck for a few minutes to use the heat, but unsurprisingly, the car wouldn't start at that point. But now that he was finally in the car, he did allow himself a few hours to sleep because he had been trekking non-stop through deep snow all day and was exhausted. And he also had an extremely long journey ahead of him the next day. 
The next morning, he woke up very early and started quickly walking down the road. And not too far down the road, he came up on a road sign, which was exciting because he felt like he must be getting close to something. He had to wipe it off to see what it said. But when he did, he saw that the next closest town was 51 miles away. It seemed almost impossible. With no food, barely any water, and no real rest, how would he be able to walk that far in time? By this point, it had been eight days out there. As Jim walked, he at one point thought he heard Jennifer talking to him. He knew she wasn't behind him, but it sounded like she had been right behind him. And somewhere in him, he thought that meant she had died and he needed to keep going for Clayton. Either way, he knew he had to hurry. Back in the cave, thankfully, Jennifer hadn't died. But her feet had started hurting really badly, so she decided to take off her frozen shoes to hopefully let her feet warm back up. But when she took off her shoes, she saw her feet were a very deep shade of purple and almost black. She didn't know what frostbite looked like or felt like, but she was in excruciating pain. As her feet started thawing, the pain got even worse. It was so bad, she actually put her bare feet directly into the snow to numb them back up again. She just wanted to make the pain go away. And at that same time, Clayton had this vacant look in his eyes, and Jennifer had become very worried that he was dying. He hadn't eaten in a while, and she was getting really concerned. But she just had to keep telling herself, one more day. And that brings us to day nine. Jim knew he must be getting close to something when he saw that the road had been slightly plowed, so that lightened his spirit a little bit. But then out of nowhere, he saw a pickup truck driving off in the distance. For a moment, he thought he was hallucinating, but he didn't have time to second-guess himself. He immediately started screaming and waving his arms and running toward the truck. And thankfully, the truck stopped in the middle of the road and reversed to go back for Jim. When Jim ran up to the truck, he ripped open the door and immediately told the man driving everything that had happened. The man in the truck's name was Dave Peterson. Dave Peterson and his wife, Ruthanna, are via Nevada, population two. It's a town of two people in Nevada. It is a small ghost town located in Washoe County in northwestern Nevada. It's about 10 miles east of the California state line. And it basically consists of Dave Peterson's home and... I think a post office, and that's it. Like, it's nothing else. And nothing said this in the research that I was doing, but I think when he was following those taillights for a while down this gravel road for so long, I wouldn't be surprised if he was following Dave Peterson and just didn't know it, because who else would be going down this dirt road? And then the car just, like, randomly turned off, and he was like, okay, now the car's gone and apparently nowhere? Like... In my mind, it makes all the sense in the world that it would be Dave Peterson that he was following. And now it's Dave Peterson who is saving him. So thank you, Dave Peterson. Dave had been home for lunch and just so happened to be heading out of town back to work when he spotted Jim. Dave then took Jim back to his home where he let Jim warm up. Dave didn't even have a phone in his house. <laughs> 
Dave didn't even have a phone in his house. So he radioed to his coworker, Dusty, and Dusty said that he would be on his way over to help. Jim told Dave and Dusty the area that he had left Jennifer in and that he had marked it with a blue sweatshirt. And Dave and Dusty were the perfect people to go and find Jennifer and Clayton because they knew the area better than anyone. And Jim really wanted to go with them, but Dave wouldn't let him. Like Jennifer, Jim's feet were also badly frostbitten. Dave told him that when his feet began to thaw, he would be in a lot of pain. So he needed to go to the hospital. Jim was upset with them, but he agreed to go. And that was when Jim's family got the call that Jim had been found. Everyone was so relieved, but they also had to be told that Jennifer and Clayton still hadn't been found. So it was back to the waiting game. Anytime Jennifer fell asleep, she would have dreams of a rescue, only to wake up to the reality that she was still alone in that cave. Day three in the cave had come and almost gone, and Jennifer had gotten to the point where she was worried Jim wasn't going to make it, and she and Clayton were going to die in there. Clayton was not looking well, and she was getting really scared. She thought about her family not knowing where she was and all the stupid mistakes they had made that got them into that situation in the first place. But after one too many false rescue dreams, she woke up to the sound of an engine outside of the cave. And this time, it was for real. When she poked her head out of the cave, she saw the yellow rotating light on the top of a search vehicle, and she began waving frantically and calling out, She immediately handed over Clayton to Dusty and asked if Jim was okay, and was told that he was, which was pretty apparent considering a rescue team was there for her in the first place. Jennifer still couldn't walk, so she was also carried out of the cave, but she and Clayton both made it out of there alive. Jennifer and Clayton had been transferred from the truck to a snowcat, and the snowcat had some EMTs to evaluate her and Clayton before they went to the hospital. They took Clayton, and the first thing they wanted to see was the state of his feet, because they wanted to know if he had frostbite, because Jennifer had really bad frostbite. As they cut through layer after layer to get to his little feet to see if he had frostbite, everyone was holding their breath. But when they got through, everyone was so relieved to see his little pink baby toes wiggling. He was perfectly fine. No frostbite. Jim and Jennifer had done an incredible job at keeping him warm. The California Highway Patrol decided they would fly Muriel to the hospital where Jim was headed. At the time she boarded the little private plane, Jennifer and Clayton had still been missing. But mid-flight, the pilot turned around to her and said they found Jennifer and Clayton and they're alive which must have been the best feeling ever, because now she gets to go see all three of them at the same place, and they're all safe and okay. I mean, talk about a sigh of relief, right? (laughs) You're like mid-air in this tiny little plane, and you get the news that all three of your family members are A-okay? I don't think you can beat that news. Jim and Jennifer were reunited at the hospital, and they said they had pretty much a non-verbal reunion. It was almost like, I can't believe we just made it through that. Jim was also still pretty hopped up on pain meds, but 
yeah, that honestly makes sense to me. Like, what do you even say at that point? I mean, I guess thank you, sure. But like, it's just like an, oh my God, how did we do that? <laughs> like a silent appreciation and love. And that's just what they had. They were both treated for hypothermia, dehydration, and frostbite. The damage to their feet was so severe that all of their toes had to be amputated. Temperatures during their week out there ranged from a high of 42 to a low of minus 4. So, freaking cold. Clayton was really dehydrated and had a really bad diaper rash, but once they gave him fluids and cleared up the rash, he was perfectly fine. Nine days in the wilderness had nothing on Clayton. And, I mean, that's all thanks to Jim and Jennifer, but, like, <laughs> that's a pretty hard baby. <laughs> like, that'd be a pretty sick two truths and a lie. <laughs> when I was a baby, I survived for nine days in the wilderness <laughs> and came out with not a scratch on me. There's probably a better way to word that to make it as as mountain man as possible, but that's, I mean, kudos. Like, I mean, kudos is the wrong word, but, like, Ultimate kudos? Ultimate kudos to Jim and Jennifer for keeping Clayton as warm as possible and safe as possible because he was fine. He just he just had a diaper rash, which like babies not living through being stranded in a blizzard for nine days go through. <laughs> like, that's pretty insane. Jennifer said they felt like losing their toes was nothing compared to Clayton. Having him be okay was all they needed. She also said it made us notice the things you take for granted so often. A glass of water, a good smooth road. I don't think we'll take them for granted anymore. And Jennifer said after being rescued and being thrown into the public eye, she would be glad to get back to her normal life. And one of the things she looked forward to the most was eating fast food and going to the mall, which is a relatable sentence to say the least. I mean, I can relate, Jennifer. I would also look forward to that. <laughs> I look forward to that just in general. Jim and Jennifer have said that Clayton is the reason they survived, and Clayton, who is fully grown today, considers his parents to be his heroes. They went on to have another daughter, Shelby, in 1995. Jim said Clayton was the reason they survived, and Shelby was the reward, which is just so cute. <laughs> Sometimes you get the uh, really fun response of like, oh, I was the accident, but... Shelby got, I was the reward. Clayton and Shelby got, I was the reason my parents survived. And Shelby got, I was the reward. So no accidents there. Love that for that family. Both Stolpas said the, said the experience has taught them a lot about life. And Jennifer said, above all, she has learned the value of a mother's advice. Before the family left on their drive, she said her mother-in-law urged them to stay home and out of the snow. And so because of that, she said, listen to your mom. I think that was the moral of our story. So according to Jennifer, listen to your mom. I mean, hey, we've all been there, right? You're like, I hate to admit it, but sometimes, sometimes my mom is right. <laughs> and this was one of those times. Over time, Jim and Jennifer did grow apart and did separate, but the two are still very happy and are still friends. Jim said he wouldn't want to change anything that happened because it made him who he is today. Jennifer, to this day, considers Jim her hero. So even though they aren't together, they're still on great terms and have love and respect for each other, which is the best case scenario. And there actually was a movie made about their story. 
And multiple TV shows made, like, episodic documentaries about them. But there was a movie made with Neil Patrick Harris in it called Snowbound, which was released in 1994. So that's cool. But anyway, that is the story of Jim and Jennifer Stolpa. And Clayton. Hell, I mean, Clayton was pulled behind them in a little garment bag sled, but he was there. He did the damn thing, too. Very creative of Jim to think of the garment bag sled. I can't even picture how big of a relief it must have been when all of those EMTs and Jennifer saw Clayton's little pink baby toes for the first time and and his feet weren't like black with frostbite because even just seeing the, the fake frostbitten toes and the reenactments of Jim and Jennifer's story was rough. So I, I can only imagine seeing that on a baby foot would be even more disturbing. So I'm very glad that Clayton didn't have to go through that because that would have been really sad. But it's also so brave of them to have split up. I mean, brave, of course, on Jim's part, because he's the one who had to do the walking and put himself out there and walk over 50 miles to get help for his family. But also very brave of Jennifer to have to lay in the cave with her baby and not know if she would ever see her husband again, if she was just going to die in there, if they would ever make it out. I mean, so scary for both of them in very different ways, but just, but also very similar ways. I mean, just, just scary all around, but also incredible that they did that and they made it through and they did it really well. So hats off to them. And I'm really glad that they're still friends and, and still have each other in in their lives, even if they're not married anymore. I mean, sometimes marriages end, but it's good that they're on good terms. That makes me happy to know. It also made me laugh in the beginning hearing Jim say Jennifer didn't like the fruitcake, so she didn't eat as much of it. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but if that's true, if she didn't eat as much of the fruitcake just because she didn't like it in a survival situation, I mean, I, I just wonder if she was a picky eater. Imagine being a picky eater in a survival situation. <laughs> what a what a silly thought. I have never been a picky eater, but imagine being a picky eater. I'm just imagining one of those kids who only eats buttered noodles being stuck in a survival situation and the only thing they have to eat is like a food they like refuse to touch like mushrooms or like Brussels sprouts or like clams. <laughs> like, I think at that point they'd probably get over it. But in Jennifer's case, she had fruitcake and apparently she didn't eat as much of it. I, I don't know if that's actually true if she didn't eat as much or not, but in, in one of the documentaries that I watched where Jim was talking about it, he mentioned that she didn't eat as much of it because it was fruitcake and she didn't like it. So, I mean, I'm sure she didn't anticipate being stuck out there for nine days. They were operating under the assumption that somebody was going to find them, that they were going to be able to drive out of there, that they weren't going to be in that situation. So if that is the case, I'm sure it was just because she thought that they were going to get out of there a lot sooner than nine days. But but that does make me laugh a little bit. Anyway, they slayed it. They did amazing and they got out of there and they did lose their toes. But hey, out of all of it, they even said like losing our toes is nothing compared to what we could have lost. So, so that's that on that. Anyway, let's move on to the good thing. And I kind of mentioned it in the beginning. My good thing is that I will be in Dublin at the time that this episode comes out. I'm visiting my bestie. I haven't seen her in almost a year at this point. She's been there for almost a year. And yeah, I'm just very excited. We have a lot of fun things planned and it'll be really fun. I've never been 
to, I've never been to Ireland. So I'm really looking forward to being there and seeing the sights and doing the things and eating the food and drinking the drinks and, and having the fun. But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to hear a bunch of bonus content, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience, or just a crazy story in general that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. 